Yo, what's up, everyone? Pete Forsey, the podcast. Welcome into the very first episode, the first edition of Many to Come. Man, there's just too much going on in the world right now. I couldn't not have an extended uh, platform to talk about what's going on, particularly football. That's what this first episode is going to be jam-packed with. I'm going to dive right into the content, all right? We're going to talk Rams and Sean McVay and something he did not do. I'm going to go into the Eagles quarterbacks and their situations. Tom Brady's future, what will he do? There's a lot of different paths he could go. And then, of course, I'm going to do conference championship. If you're laying some bets this weekend, I advise you to stick around. I'm going to be talking about what I think is going to happen. So uh, you'll want to tune in there. From here, I'll just let the content roll. Thanks again for tuning in to the very first episode. Okay, I'm going to kick things off here by talking about credit. And I'm a big believer in giving credit where credit is due, even if it's in an unpopular opinion, even if it's not what people want to hear. I'm from St. Louis, and if you talk any way glowingly about the Rams franchise, it's considered to be a, uh, you know, you've brought shame to your city. Um, I don't really abide by that necessarily, okay? I am less emotional than most about the Rams leaving and heading off to L.A., Um, And this is an instance where I have to butt in. Um, Sean McVay has gotten credit for reestablishing the identity of the Rams, uh, most recently here in the Dallas game, um, and really just going back to their final two games of the regular season. It's said that they got back to their quote-unquote roots. They ran the football, they out-physically punished their opponent, they out-toughed their opponent, and that's really what McVay has built since he took over at the 2017 season. This is not true, okay, because the Rams were a tough team, they were a physical team, and they played hard before McVay got there. The credit for this goes to Jeff Fisher. Now, Jeff Fisher is the butt of all jokes with anyone from St. Louis. Seven and nine, can't get the uh, challenge flag out of his pocket, can't name the opponents uh, of, you know, of who he's playing that week, just anything and everything. And if you look at his record... 7 8 and 1, 7 and 9, 6 and 10, 7 and 9, 4 and 12. You can see where the joke 7 and 9 comes from. Um, however, I guess really in context, though, you look at Jeff Fisher in the five seasons prior to his four and a half year tenure with the Rams, um, there was an average of three wins a year. They went 3 and 13, 2 and 14, 1 and 15, 7 and 9, and 2 and 14 prior to Jeff, Hish- Jeff Fisher taking over the team. Um, so st- statistically, Jeff Fisher improved the team. Um, he had his players playing hard, okay? Jeff Fisher motivated them. He earned respect of them. That, that is something that cannot be denied, okay? Most recently, there's an SI article out. Um, I forget her name. Uh, she does some pretty good reporting. Um, but Roger Saffold comes to his defense, says he's a great coach. He knows which buttons to push to motivate guys, and we all loved playing for him. Um Jeff Fisher has some qualities that should be praised, okay? Like I said, great motivator, earns respect, talent evaluator, okay? He knows talent, okay? He, he got Trumaine Johnson. He got Corey Littleton, Nick Foles, Case Keenum. I'm not naming all pros here. I get it, okay? But you know what? He knows how to evaluate talent, okay? Jeff Fisher established something with the Rams. He got them to play hard. We're not going to give that credit to Sean McVay. At least I'm not because he deserves as much. He deserves... Uh, to be noted here, because he's the one that uh, established that. Now, this isn't to say Jeff Fisher shouldn't have been fired, okay? Anytime you are tied 
on the all-time losing list as a coach, I understand that is a hard sell to a fan base, okay? Once that happens, after your running back calls your offense, you know, junior high, and then you alienate um, basically the most popular L.A. Ram ever in Eric Dickerson, I get why uh, you fire Jeff Fisher, okay? It makes sense. And he's got some weaknesses. I, I listed off some strengths. He's got some weaknesses. His coaching staff sucks. Schematics are basically outdated. Game management is poor. Um, and while he knows talent, he's not really a good teacher slash coach, which is, you know, I get that's vital, all right? You, you got to be able to teach talent, not just uh, identify it. Uh, so he's got some weaknesses, all right? But I think Jeff Fisher deserves credit here. Um, we're, we shouldn't take that away from him, uh, anyone from St. Louis, just because you hate him. He established this. He's got some uh, some handprints on this Rams team. He established the identity uh, of toughness and physicality. He had them playing hard. I'm not going to give that to Sean McVay. Okay, I'm going to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles, who just finished up a good season, came, uh, overcame a rash of injuries. Uh, Doug Peterson really solidifying himself as one of the uh, – uh, best coaches in the NFL. He did a mav- marvelous job um, at getting guys that were available and having them play at a very high level, winning a, a playoff game, but of course losing to the Saints this past Sunday. Um, but the focus then shifted to their quarterback, who's going to be the starter when Carson Wentz is healthy. Um, and I'll begin by saying this. Anytime we ask questions, typically we always look at the answer. And sometimes it's appropriate to s- look at who's giving the answer, and I think this is one of those times. Um, when you look at the media, I can't tell you how much I saw networks asking question this question, Wentz versus Foles, this question to former players, and I think it's very inappropriate, okay, because the answer uh, you know, was kind of split. It was like, well, Foles is winning here recently. He's proved it. The team rallies around him. Um, you know, they should go with him. And then others were saying Wentz because uh, he's just more physically gifted, uh, basically giving the right answer. Carson Wentz is the guy you go with. And the problem I have with asking players this question, whether it's analysts or just um, players on the team, whether it's the Eagles or others in the NFL, the problem I have with this being um, offered to players is that they don't have this clear-eyed view, man. Okay, they only think like players. They want the guy that's going to get the job done in the in the pocket, um, and they don't understand really the financial terms, and they can't properly evaluate um, necessarily maybe what what is projectable down the line. You look at Carson Wentz; he is definitely a far superior quarterback from a production standpoint, based off his physical gifts and his age. Not to mention his price tag; he's due eight million dollars. Okay. That's literally a fourth of what his value is. Nick Foles at $20 million? Yeah, can't happen. Now, if they were to renegotiate and he were to give back that $2 million that they would uh, have to give him on a buyout, then maybe you could see him coming back as a backup. But the question of whether it should be Foles versus Wentz, I don't want to hear from players, okay? They don't... They're, they they their opinions aren't always evolved. Now, there are exceptions, okay? Teddy Bruschi of ESPN, Lewis Riddick of ESPN, those are guys that I think really give you a a wholesome outlook on what to consider. An executive side, an owner side, uh, you know, a player side, everything. They look at everything. But to look at some of these guys that are in the media, and maybe I'm just kind of getting on my soapbox here because I think there are far too many former players that have jobs in the business that are just, frankly, underqualified. But when I'm talking about this wins fulls thing, don't give it. Don't ask former players, man. Ask executives, okay? They're the ones making the decisions, and they're the ones that really are taking the the uh, full circle view here. Um, it's not even a debate, okay? Carson Wentz is the better player. 
um, more physically gifted. Foles is just a product of his environment, okay? You be, you give him big, uh, strong receivers that can go up and get con- contested catches. You give him an offensive line that is probably the best in the game. You give him a head coach that worries about what he can do and not what he cannot do. Um, you're going to have plays that are conducive to him, and then he's got to execute them. And if he executes them at a, at a high level, then yeah, you're going to win some ball games, perhaps even a Super Bowl, exactly what they did. But the idea that Carson Wentz is not the future and Nick Foles is because you got on a hot stretch and at, at this moment in time you had the resources available to construct a team that is suitable towards him? No, you don't go, you don't move forward with him, okay? There's going to come a time where resources aren't going to be abundant, okay? And you're going to have to rely on the physically gifted, better talent in Carson Wentz. It was never a discussion. We were asking the wrong questions to the wrong people. Carson Wentz is the future. Um, I, I think this was. I think most reasonable people understand that, and I'm glad that uh, Philadelphia came out and said such this past week. All right, I got to talk about Tom Brady because he's relevant. Everything he does is noteworthy. Plays on probably the most relevant team. Um, yeah, so anything he does, it's uh, it's a topic. And I'll begin by saying this: anyone who's been in a job that they think they're going to leave in the near future, probably notice that from when they began to when they ended, that they were communicating differently with those around them. Um, I certainly noticed that here recently. Uh, I just left a job, and the way I was talking with my boss was vastly different from the beginning to the end. Um, About the middle or maybe like the uh, three-quarter mark of when I was there to when I left, I noticed that the rapport between me and my boss was vastly different. I was uh, there, the subjects we were talking about, the topics, uh, the overall communication was just uh, more off the cuff. It was more free. And I think we're seeing that now with Tom Brady. I think the end is near based off a lot of indicators that we have seen. The most recent being the sideline uh, interview with Tracy Wolfson of CBS. He basically acknowledged that he hears the outside noise. People are calling him old. They're saying he can't play anymore. They're saying the team is not as uh, dynamic, not as uh, well-constructed as it has been in the past. Um, and then he doubled down the next day on Monday on a local Boston radio show. He says, yeah, I hear it. Should be fun against Kansas City while also being a challenge. This is just the first of many that we've seen from Tom Brady here in the last, I'd say, like year and a half. And we can trace it back to the TV12 method. The release of that book, uh, September 2017, probably the worst thing he's ever done for his career, if you're asking me because people just shit all over him for it. They think, like, it's just ridiculous, some of the techniques and what he prescribes to. Um, I mean, proof is in the pudding, so, I mean, he's obviously doing it, and he's still elite, so people can stick their nose up at it all they want. Uh, he's still freaking amazing. But anyway, the release of this book, a indicator that, hey, I'm going to do health and wellness when I'm done with football. Here's, uh, here's what I do. Here are some things to try. You then move on to January... Um, January 2018, a article article comes out from ESPN. Seth Wickersham, very well respected writer, he reports that there's a whole lot of discord going on between Tom Brady, uh, Bill Belichick, owner, and things going on there in the past year. Brady does not refute this. Okay, later on in that uh, this summer of 2018, he says, "I plead the fifth when asked to clarify his relationship with his team and how he feels appreciated. Um, I I jumped ahead of myself here, but there was Tom versus Time. Tom versus Time, a documentary about him and his lifestyle, that aired during the playoffs. 
Okay, this is something that does not get talked about. That is so unbrady to have a documentary about him, you know, dropping during the playoffs when the Patriot Patriots are playing. Like that would be a distraction for uh, like most other teams. Uh, but you know, Brady's so good at mitigating that and uh, minimizing that that it, it was kind of underreported that this is coming out. Like Tom never does stuff like that. He's always been company line and carrying out Belichick's uh, you know hush hush policy. Um, there's that. We got the recent, uh, uh, sideline thing with Tracy Wolfson, Tom versus time, TB 12. These are all indicators that, Hey, like the time is coming. The end is near. I think back to Super Bowl uh, 52 here, 20, uh, 2018, February. I'm not so sure that wouldn't have been it. If he, uh, if he won that thing going out on the mountaintop, Mike Florio has floated out this proposal, or this idea, I should say, that 45 isn't the age that Brady wants to play to. It's more of a window for him to take it to the mountaintop one more time. Um, he doesn't want a Derek Jeter-like retirement tour. I think he's more of a uh, – he doesn't like the spotlight. He probably doesn't want his team to have that spotlight. Um, so that's probably not his thing. He's given himself the opportunity to walk away uh, when we probably don't expect it. But I think I think that time is coming, man. He's communicating differently. Um, he, he's not following company line like he usually does. I think if Tom Brady wins this Sunday, and if he wins in February, that could very well be the last time we ever see him play. All right, now let's jump into the games. We got, uh, got Chiefs-Patriots. And begin by asking yourself this. If you were able to guess who would possess the ball for 20 minutes, Chiefs or Patriots, who would you say? Whatever your answer may be, that's going to be the loser of the game. Okay, if you look at most playoff games, really any game, if you possess the ball from in, in the 20s, 20 to 24 minutes or so, that means you lost the game. Either your defense couldn't get off the field or your offense couldn't generate enough yards to keep the ball and possess it and ultimately score points. And this is something that I think just comes down to New England uh, having the advantage here because they're just a more disciplined team and they dominate in the trenches. Now, that's not to say that they're just more physical and that they run the ball better because the Chiefs can do that too. They have a good offensive line and they've ran the ball well the last uh, couple weeks. Uh, even when they lost Kareem Hunt moving forward, they were still effective in that regard. However, what New England does better than anyone, and I think we'll see that from the very opening series, New England manipulates the trenches, okay? They they manipulate the line of scrimmage. And I think from the get-go, we're going to be seeing the short and quick stuff. We're going to see rub techniques. We're going to see um, mesh concepts. The short, quick stuff that's going to go to Edelman. It's going to go to White, uh, perhaps Burkhead. We're going to see this early, and then it's going to set up the second drives where you have the Chiefs' defense alignment out leveraged uh, to the Patriots' offense alignment. They're going to be pinning their ears back because they're going to see the drop back in Brady initially to start the game, and then they're going to be out leveraged, and then they'll effectively run the ball probably out of shotgun 11 to James White uh, up the middle. That's what I think is going to happen. I think that's going to be going to be the difference in ultimately them possessing the ball longer. Now, obviously, it's going to be cold. Not going to be a factor, okay? There's a lot of core Patriots players that have played in cold games. They're from New England, after all. Um, the noise, yeah, perhaps a factor, but this is a disciplined bunch. We all know that. They're not going to have 10 penalties for 70 yards. That's what the Colts did. That's not going to happen. Um, I think there's incredible speed on the Chiefs' side of the ball, okay? Tyreek Hill will get a chunk play. I think uh, Gilmore will probably be on him with a shade of McCourty. Um, and then I think Kelsey's a mismatch. I think I... If, if the Chiefs are going to generate some yards, which I think they will, I think they're going to need a big day from Kelsey, and I think uh, I think he will have a good day. Okay, He played excellent against uh, Indianapolis, 
And if they have Chung matched up on him, who who got torched by Ertz in the Super Bowl, um, who's a you know a good comparable as far as effectiveness from the tight end position, I think Kelsey could have a very big day. Um, they're going to make Watkins beat him because Watkins, uh, he just came back, and he's got to prove that uh, he's the same player off the injury. Uh, but I really don't see him having a, a big impact, uh, particularly if it's J.C. Jackson, uh, the undrafted guy that the Patriots picked up and found a gem in at cornerback. Now, he could be matched up on Kelsey perhaps, so maybe that, uh, that'll be moot. But ultimately, I think the speed will be a factor for the Chiefs, but they're just not going to have the ball long enough, man. I don't think they're going to possess the ball long enough to score. Um, and ultimately, I see New England taking this one because I think they have a disciplined bunch on offense manipulating the line of scrimmage, and uh, they've been playing well. Dante Scarnecchia, that's the name. It's not Brady. It's not uh, Belichick. Dante Scarnecchia, will he have his offensive line playing as well as they did last week against Los Angeles where they just pummeled the Chargers? I think they will. This is a great offensive line coach. They play the best this time of year. Uh, I got New England in this one. I'll give a final score later on in the week. But for now, let's head on to New Orleans and the Rams. All right, let me grab uh, some stuff here. I got a Rams Saints. Uh, Rams Saints, Superdome, going to be loud. Jared Goff, he's he's shown that he gets a little rattled um, when he's put under duress, whether that's pressure from the opponent or if it's loud, he, uh, you know, his passer rating goes way down. I'm pretty sure it's like in the 90s when he's kept clean. Uh, when he's not, uh, when he is facing pressure, it goes down to like the 40s. So he doesn't like to be rattled. Um, but this defensive line of the Saints did take a hit. Sheldon Rankins, he's out towards Achilles. He won't be playing in the ball game. Um, now, look, Todd Gurley, C.J. Anderson, Rams offensive line, beast against the Cowboys. All right, they really, uh, they really laid the wood there. And to think that Rankins, who's, of course, a defensive tackle, that his um, impact will be missed. Yes, of course it will be, but I don't think it's going to diminish the Saints too much. Here's why. I like their linebackers, okay? I've always liked uh, this Anzalone guy, A.J. Klein, Craig Robertson, uh, veteran guys. But uh, Demario Davis is another one, okay? He's been a free agent pickup. It's been very good. I always thought they were kind of an underrated bunch, okay? They were fifth against the run in the regular season, I believe. And I think if... The Rams attack early to see if they're going to be uh, playing at the same effectiveness, the Saints' uh, defense as a whole. If they run it up the gut, I think they're going to see that the Saints are going to come to play. Now, if they don't, then this will be all Rams all day. They will totally command the game. It'll play off play action. You'll get the linebackers out of position because they'll be uh, concerned about stopping the run but then dropping into coverage. Uh, to cover anything in the passing game. So if they don't, game over, Rams are going to win it. But I don't think that's going to happen, okay? I like this line linebacking bunch. Um, I think they'll come up and show to play knowing that Rankins is out uh, and they're, the, they're going to need to step up. Now on the other side of the ball, it's been been well documented. Breeze doesn't throw down field that much anymore. Um, personally, I think he can. It's just more of a product of who they've had available throughout the year really on display uh, how good Drew Brees is. is uh, when you hand him something uh, as far as from an offensive standpoint, whether it's schematics, whether it's personnel, uh, he can answer the bell each time, which is why I think Drew Brees uh, was the MVP this year, which, again, maybe a story for a different day. Um, but anyway, Michael Thomas, this guy's a beast, okay? Absolute beast. You can scheme him open or he can get open. He's probably the best route runner in the league, in my opinion. Uh, maybe he could go to one of the guys in Minnesota, but this guy runs route great. Um, Sean Payton could scheme him open, um, but they also got other, you know, they got other playmakers. And it, this idea that they were kind of depleted at wide receiver, yeah, that was true to a degree. 
but, you know, Ingram, Kamaro, they can catch, so maybe they're not labeled wide receivers, but they're still weapons. you got Ted Ginn back now. Um, I don't know if the Rams D can stop all these guys. And particularly, I don't think they can stop Thomas. Okay, you can put whoever you want on them, but I think they're gonna uh, they're gonna make some plays. Um, Wade Phillips, um, he's a great coach. Got a lot of respect for him, as everybody does. But really, what it comes down to in this game is second half adjustments. And an underrated guy is Dennis Allen. Of course, he sucked in Oakland. Everybody knows that wasn't a great head coach, but he's an underrated D coordinator. Okay, good play caller, really uh, knows in tune. Uh, or excuse me, really knows what his players are doing well that day and also what the offense is trying to do. So more than anything, I see the Saints making second-half adjustments um, and really understanding what the Rams are doing and being able to, I'm not going to say mount a comeback necessarily because we don't know, but they're going to be able to play off how the game uh, plays in the first half. So that's kind of why I give them the advantage. Um, Also, there's just a higher likelihood that golf gets a little bit rattled. Uh, either by the noise and can't communicate as effectively or he gets pressure because I think the Saints uh, defensive front is still very good. They got got some dudes, okay? Davenport, this guy's a real player. You can see why they traded up for him. You still got Okafor. Um, you still uh, you got Cameron Jordan, obviously, um, and you're missing Rankins, but still a good bunch. I think they stopped the run against the Rams early. I think second half adjustments favors the Saints. Ultimately, I'm going to choose them. Again, I'll have scores out later on in the week. But Saints, Patriots, that's what I think it's going to be come Super Bowl time here in February. All right, y'all, I'm going to wrap things up. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in to the very first episode here. Thank you for bearing with me. I know there was some turbulence. Uh, We didn't get to voicemails. Truth is, I couldn't find out uh, how to set it up correctly. I got, like, the number down and how to listen to all of them, but I didn't know how to put them into the system so they are able to be heard at a uh, at a level that is uh, appropriate so hopefully i'll figure that out how to uh, take it from its system and combine it into what i'm recording on for the future episodes and in the future episodes i think they're going to go a little bit longer uh keeping it short today but i can't imagine anything going over one hour so don't worry i'm not going to bend your ear too long uh but in the meantime please share this subscribe to this review this give me feedback i want to know how i'm doing i want to know what you want to hear um, you, you can review it uh, in iTunes. We love those five-star reviews. Uh, it's going to be on SoundCloud and more mediums to come wherever you like to uh, listen to your podcast. Please let me know because I want to put it in uh, as many hands as possible. Um, special thank you to Jack Schwartz. Jack uh, created my logo for me and my graphics. I think they're really neat. He worked a l- very hard on them, put in a lot of hours. I, I uh, appreciate that, Jack. Um, in the meantime, enjoy the football. I'll talk to you in the, in the next time. Have a fun weekend.